निरंजनम नित्यम अनंतरूपम भक्तानुकंपाधृतविग्रह वै ईशावतारम परमेशमिड्यम तंग्राम कृष्णम शिरसानमाम जननीम सारदा देवी राम कृष्णम जगद्गु पाद पद्मीतोश्रुवा प्रणमा मुहूर्मु नम श्रीयतिराजा विवेकानंदसूर सच्चिदुखस्वूपय So the last class on our karma yoga, we deviated a bit, and we took up the chapter, the paper on Hinduism. In the very first volume of the complete works of Swami Vivekananda, in the section the Parliament of Religions, we find that. Uh, this is one of the very very significant uh, lectures of Swami Vivekananda. Actually, it is a paper on Hinduism which Swami Ji read in the Parliament of Religions, and we took some portion of that lecture to discuss the Hindu tenets about the Hindu tenets of the Hinduism as far as the soul. its nature and its destiny is concerned and we have already seen that swami vivekananda was having in his in the background of his mind the abrahamic religions and as well as the modern science this too he was having in his background that what's their viewpoint about the creation and specifically about the human beings and their destiny as per the transmigration is concerned whether the other religions believe in it or not or as per the uh, trans uh, what do you say that the as per the biological science the transmission of the genes as if explains everything the reductionist theory so all those things was in the background of his mind and in a nice way he from the very beginning we find <clears throat> he was synthesizing all the views to express the view of vedanta so uh, we will see that we have already discussed the that what that when swami vivekananda was delivering the lecture in the background of his mind there is the four ideas mainly were there the biblical doctrine of creation biblical concept of original sin biological concept of origin of life and the biological concept of inheritance so these are the four ideas which was in the background of his mind and as per the biblical doctrine we have already studied that god created even each and every soul was created by god but once it has been created there is no annihilation so we are not anadi in the vedic term as per the vedantic terminology is concerned that if we try to understand the biblical concept that we are not anadi we had an adi we were created but we are ananta we are going to live forever so here at the very beginning we find swami vivekananda to propound the vedic view is contradicting the idea that there is creation of the soul he is saying that if you are having any uh, thing which is created if there is any creation it is bound to be annihilated because creation means the combination of some favorable circumstances to lead to the creation now if those favorable circumstances are no more there the all the factors which integrated to create it that is bound to disintegrate so anything which is created is bound to disintegrate 
the thing which is not anadi cannot be ananta so from the vedic point of view from the vedanta's point of view the soul is anadi as well as ananta it was it is it will be throughout eternity it was it is it will be so that's the first thing swami vivekananda brings into uh, our is highlights brings into our notice and the very second point which he says that the moment we attribute the creation to god then however we may try to explain the imperfections in life we will find at last it has to be attributed to the divine alone that you have to attribute all the imperfections to the if he has created then ultimately for all our imperfections our sins the god is responsible and we find that there are many stories the biblical story of the origin of the sin that the, how the sin happened because of the transgression of the gods uh, dictum and that we are actually uh, inheriting that spiritual and psycho that's what you say that the sin the original sin is being inherited and it is something even a newborn an innocent baby who is born has inherited that so we will find that we somehow god it if you have you have to attribute the imperfections in the god's creation itself so here again swami says when i say that the soul is anadi as well as ananta then the responsibility no more lies with the divine responsibility is now with me i am responsible for the actions which i do and out of ignorance whatever actions i have done that is resulting birth after birth means the results of the previous actions has resulted in the new birth and that's how we can explain that in this life we can find lot of polarities that some are born with all the uh, luxuries of life and some are born miserable so <clears throat> who is responsible for that so here vedanta the vedic view comes to the picture by saying that in our past birth whatever actions we have done the results we have accrued in the present birth and now again we find the biological concept of transmigration the genetical transmigration comes into picture to say that there is nothing called soul which is transmigrating that we have studied that we were just discussing in the last class that it is just the genetic transmission which happens and all the traits which we develop is only because of the genetic transmission now we will find swami vivekananda too contradict this view is synthesizing the biblical concept as well as the biological concept to highlight the vedantic concept what it is saying that we need not be idealistic to think that the entire creation happened out of god or out of consciousness neither <clears throat> we take into uh, the view of the science by thinking that consciousness evolved as an epiphenomenon because of the conglomeration of matter it's an accidental product of the conglomeration of matter we need not take into that view also he's saying the mind and the consciousness the consciousness as well as the nature they are as if going in parallel lines he's saying that as per our tendencies it is we who choose a particular body yes certain traits are inherited because of the biological transmission but again it is we who are tuned to that particular type of body are uh, just prevail over that body and that's how this this to the this the mind which is transmigrated the mind and the body this two come into picture together and as in the last class we found that there is a lot of objections that how can something enter into the body if we try to understand that way it's really very difficult to understand in the modern days because of the advancement of the science to understand the transmigration has become very easy just the way our internet works just the way your television works nothing is entering into your tv 
when your tv is damaged you write you purchase a new tv you just tune to the channel which you were viewing previously immediately the same picture comes comes to your vicinity so what's so the mind is something non local it's just like the transmission and there are lot of biological findings in the present day uh, which actually ascribes to that that it is something like a transmission and that the body to which we are attuned we take birth in that we gave a common example that there may be innumerable <coughs> vasanas the latent impressions which are known as the vasanas in our mind all need not find expression in a particular birth as per the particular birth is concerned all those vasanas which are suitable for that birth they only find expression others remain hidden in the subconscious mind not to find expression in the present birth maybe in future birth when those vasanas which didn't find expression in this birth they find several circumstances they will again manifest and to give a common example in the last class we were giving that example let's suppose a student is good in all the subjects that how we can understand that process of transmigration a student is good in all the subjects and <clears throat> when he gets chance suppose in the medical college because of good grades now he that he or she was interested in all the subjects was good in all the subjects and had quite equal interest in all of them but the moment he gets chance in the medical college he or she gets chance now only the interest in the biological sciences that finds manifestation that's manifests the others gets shadowed because now his jati what's the species is a medical student for certain years four years seven years whatever it may be he is going to be a medical student and all the experiences if he was a really good with all his talent he has got there with full uh, skills he will easily pass through if somehow he managed to get into the medical college he or she will be struggling so experiences are not same when you get into a particular jati particular species it may be different as per my skills my capabilities which i have accrued previously so now you will find that it becomes easy to understand that as a medical student though the student's interest was there in all the subjects the moment he or she gets admitted to the medical college then what happens only the interest in the biological science that finds prevalence the others are now in the subconscious mind in the future when already he or she is established as a quite reputed doctor and he or she has some laser now again most probably the love for music as a student that again manifests now in the later life again he or she may uh, just be get get more and more interested in whether pursuing the interest in their music so you will find that that this explains this type of example explains that how that particular circumstance like the medical college that was not created by the tendencies of the student it is the product of the collective of the entire society it is a collective consciousness that has created that medical college the tendencies of that student took him there and accordingly it manifested so in a wonderful way we will find the veda the yoga as a yoga the vedanta has propounded this theory of transmigration where the biological transmission is not denied as well as the concept that the we are the soul that also is not denied <clears throat> both are synthesized and it gives a wonderful way of understanding the process of transmigration so that we were studying in the last class that why we don't remember the past because as per the present birth there are many in tendencies which are in my subconscious mind they are not favorable for this birth so naturally they are not finding expression but if i try if i can calm down the mind the past 
also can be remembered that we were studying in the last uh, class. That if you can calm down the mind in your day-to-day -day life, to give an example, uh, nowadays there are these processes to uh, regress to the past, even to the previous birth. You will find even various uh, channels, the TV channels are uh, just dedicated for this type of programs. <clears throat> we need not uh, just uh, think them to be uh, something uh, just without any, um, what you said that for some fraud or something, maybe. But there is a reason, it is a fact actually. It's not that everything is fraud. Why? The reason even in with our common understanding, we can understand uh, that it is something possible. In our day-to-day -day life, you will find that when I'm extremely busy in the morning, uh, the housewife is extremely busy. Most probably she, she has to prepare the meal for the child who is going to school, for the husband who is going for the work. And if she works, then that, if, that immediate concerns are still more uh, something focused. At that time, it is impossible for her, her to remember anything else apart from being in the present. In the afternoon or in the evening, when she is in bit in she is a bit leisurely, then she, she you will find that whenever we are leisurely, then our mind as if expands. Now the past comes into picture. My anticipation that what will happen to my future, the concerns about the future, all those comes into picture. When I am in immediate need of something, then it's not possible. So that happens in our life. We are so engrossed with the life, the present life, we are so engrossed that it is almost impossible to remember the past. And if, that's why the yoga says that if we can calm down the mind, we can see the Purva Sanskaras, the, all the hidden Sanskaras, and that can uh, enable to even remember the past birth that we have seen uh, even in the uh, one of the, uh, what you say that the yoga sutras, uh, that one of the sutra is there, which we studied in the last class, that samskara shakshat karanat purva jati jnanam. So we can see the samskaras by calming down the mind. And even the past birth becomes something uh, palpably visible. So you will, uh, that even you will find those who are born as jatismara. There's those who are born, those who remember the past birth. It is always happens as a small child they remember. As they grow, they forget. Why? As a small child, the immediate concerns are not there. The mind is not having any immediate responsibilities. That's why it can still regress to the past. As it starts growing, it becomes more and more engrossed with the present life. The past automatically gets as if uh, deleted. It's not deleted. It gets subdued, shadowed in the subconscious mind. So that example which we were giving in the last class, suppose in the daytime you have closed all the windows and through the projector you are projecting some video on the screen. And then suddenly someone comes, opens up the window. So the things which were visible in the screen is no more visible. Is it not there? It is still there. But the intensity of the daylight just shadows that what is being projected on the screen. Our subconscious mind is like that projector projecting something on the screen. It can be palpably visible if I can shut down the conscious mind. Our senses, our mind, if we can shut down, then it becomes like a dark room. It becomes palpably visible. It is not visible because the intense daylight is permeating the room now. Means my conscious mind is so active, I cannot remember the past. If I can follow that procedure, certain procedure, some yogic procedure, it can be remembered. And the yogis claim it is possible, it can be done. So we saw that, uh, we were discussing that in the last class. And then we find that the, uh, in the last class, we uh, just concluded the discussion with the concept, the Vedic concept of our real nature after discussing after discussing the various tenets uh, by, by comparing it with the Abrahamic religions as well as with the biological uh, notions, he comes to the conclusion that the Hindu believes, as we read out from the Swami Vivekananda's lecture, that he is a spirit. 
Him the sword cannot pierce, him the fire cannot burn, him the water cannot melt, him the air cannot dry. The Hindu believes that every soul is a circle whose circumference is nowhere, but his center is located in the body and the death means the change of the center from body to body, nor is the soul bound by the conditions of matter. In its very essence, it is free, unbounded, holy, pure, and perfect. So we find Swami Vivekananda is actually quoting the Bhagavad Gita to just uh, bring forth this idea of Vedanta. It is beyond all sorts of mutations, transformations. The pure soul was, is, will be. Now again, another question comes. That if that is so, if the soul is perfect, that the thing which is perfect, ever perfect, how can it be imperfect? That we see, palpably see, the dualities of life. We see the weaknesses of our mind. From where all those limitations, all those uh, propensities have developed if the soul is perfect. Now here a wonderful idea comes in Vedanta. Today we will take up that. That if you spend your energy to find out, that all the religions exhausted their energy to find out how the perfect became imperfect. But we find a tremendous, uh, what you say, deviation as per in this matter is concerned in the Vedic religion and all the, th- all the religions which evolved from the Vedic religion. Though they are not following the Vedas, but in a certain way they have evolved from that, from the Vedic tradition, the Buddhism, the Jainism. There you will find they are more concerned with the future of the soul, not the past of the soul. That through our spiritual practices, we can go to a realization where we realize that we are perfect. It is out of ignorance we were thinking of all those dualities. And from that they conclude, it is from that perfection we came. If I find that all the dross can be removed and in essence, this I cannot be sinner in essence. Why? Why cannot be a sinner in essence? Because anything which you are in essence can never be removed. Even we find in the biblical tradition, it is believed that we can get rid of our sins. So if you can get rid of our sin, how can it be essence? The essence, the essence of a thing can never be removed. Only the thing which adheres to the essence, that can be removed. So we all believe that we can go beyond all the imperfections. So that cannot be the essence. We are perfect. So then the question comes, how the perfect become the imperfect? So here Vedanta is not ready to simply go on scratching his head to find out why the perfect become imperfect and waste his energy. So there's simple plain answer of Vedanta as well as other, other religions like Buddhism we find the simple answer is, we don't know. Let us read out the words of Swami Vivekananda. It has a very, very uh, deep significance in the religious tradition, the idea of ignorance. It saves us from wasting our energy unnecessarily in certain thing, which we can never find out. And and instead we, use our energy that to come out from that situation. Uh, Before reading that Swamiji's words, I will just give an example which Buddha used to preach. Now when someone came and asked Buddha that whether God is, he kept silent. That's a wonderful thing in Buddha's life we find that as Buddha never spoke of God, many things he's atheist, but very interesting. When you ask Buddha whether God is, he is silent. But we forget when someone asks whether God is not, then also he is silent. This is the point which we miss. He is not in any way interested about to speak about God, whether it is or is not, he is silent. In the life of Buddha, we find a person came to ask Buddha whether God is, he was silent, whether he is not, 
again he's silent. Then person was first frustrated, found no answer from Buddha, left. And then Ananda, Buddha's disciple, is asking Buddha, why don't you answer? Either yes or no, something you answer. Why you just keep us confused? And then what Buddha told is very interesting. He told that I never preach any doctrine. I never preach any ism. What I do is teach mankind the way out. My teachings are actually an indicator. It doesn't speak of an anything means what is being indicated. It's just indicating. If you follow the index, you reach the goal. And then you yourself realize what the ultimate reality is. Till you have tested the mango, it is impossible to explain you the taste of mango through words, however you try. You may try go on for explaining the taste of mango for years together. It is impossible to understand the taste of mango unless you've tested. So unless you reach that state, whether God is or is not to speak about it is futile. So I never speak of it. But I show a way. The problem is people take the way to be the ism. And that's make, that creates all the confusion. And they say, I am atheist. And all sorts of these notions comes because they take the way to be the ultimate reality. And then he gives a wonderful example. What he says, that is, the mother is trying to show the moon to his infant. The infant who is always in the mother's lap is yet to learn walk, to, is yet to learn to walk. She's always in the mother's lap, totally dependent on the mother. The mother now makes it a point to show the moon to the child. One day in the full moon night, the mother takes out the child and points with her finger to the moon and says, see my child, that's the moon. And the child continues to look at the mother's face. The child, then the mother gets hold of the chin of the child, turns it and tries to get its focus on the tip of the index finger. See, 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 there. And at last the mother finds it is almost, it is almost impossible to show the moon to the child. The child is so much attached to the person, to the mother. It cannot just transcend the person. It, if the mother with all her attempt at last finds the child is looking at the index finger, thinking it to be the moon. That's what happens with all the divine incarnations. They are actually an indicator, but at last we take the indicator, the, the, the index itself as the final goal. And we never try to just uh, reach the way, but we, we just adopt the way and reach the same goal. And that's why we find that the, all the avatars at last becomes the matter object of worship. It's not bad, but the Problem is that we ourselves don't internalize the things, the values, the practices for which they were actually born, for which they were born. We don't take those things. Just a faith develops on that person. And that's what Buddha is saying in a nice way. That I am I'm just showing the way and they take the way to be the goal. And then he says a very interesting thing. Then Ananda asks, but unless you have an idea of the ultimate goal, how can the people be motivated to really pursue that? Then again, Buddha gives a wonderful analogy. So what he says is very interesting. He's saying, suppose you're passing through a forest and from nowhere, an arrow comes and pierce you, pierces you. And the, most probably the arrow is poisoned unless you get rid of the arrow and apply antidote, most probably you're going to die. Now, what's your duty? Would you sit down and ponder who shot the arrow? Why he shot the arrow? What poison he used? By this, by the time you just go on pondering, you will be dead. If the arrow has shot you, your immediate concern is to get rid of the arrow and apply antidote. 
so from where this imperfection came how i was pierced by sin you just go on pondering it is in no way going to save you somehow get rid of the arrow apply antidote and save yourself so now you will find how the concept of ignorance came in vedanta agyana that we don't know there we stop we don't proceed further to analyze how it happened just the way when you are dreaming you take the dream to be real when you wake up then you know that it was a dream do you ever ask when the dream started why the dream started once you know it was a dream the dream has no importance to you so just the same way the dream has no adi i don't i cannot decipher when it started but it is anta it has an anta its aims i wake up and then i realize it's a dream then what's the use if it's a dream what's the use to go on analyzing so that's the idea in vedanta then don't waste your time as sri ramakrishna used to say that very interesting thing is to say that if you are in a dark room for say 100 years you are enclosed there now what's the way to get the light if you just go on pondering on darkness is it is the darkness going to vanish no somehow you have to bring light and immediately the darkness will vanish it won't take another 1000 years for the darkness to vanish that as i was in the darkness for 100 years it won't take another 100 years for the darkness to vanish just strike the match immediately the darkness vanish suppose you were in a cave in a cave light has never entered for millions of years when we uh, used to go to the jenelong caves uh, in new south wales so the guide will say for millions of years no light entered and then in the 19th century one of the explorers entered the cave the pitch dark cave lighted a candle did it take another million million years to light that cave immediately that millions years of darkness vanished just in a flash so the spiritual endeavor should be not to just go on pondering over the origin somehow we are here we don't know as long as we are in ignorance it is impossible to understand how we are in ignorance but there is a way out and once you are out then you find oh i was always perfect just the man who is dreaming knows that before dream that dream was something which is an illusion he is the same person who after waking up he finds that i am the same person who is the who was before the sleep before going to sleep the same person is this person nothing have changed it was just a dream similarly a man of realization knows that i am what i am for the time being somehow this delusion of imperfection came why to go on pondering over it get rid of it and have your endeavor to get rid of it to go out of it so now you will understand that how this wonderful concept of ignorance came it's not evading the question by saying i don't know or neither we are trying to be uh, trying to uh, just cover up that question with all poetical ideas just accept the fact that it is and there it ends now let us try to be somehow we are in this situation to go out of it so in the words of swami vivekananda how nicely he is explaining the vedic concept of agyana or ignorance that why should the free the perfect and pure being be thus under the thraldom of matter in the words of swami vivekananda and he himself answers how can the perfect become the quasi perfect how can the pure the absolute change even a microscopic particle of its nature but the hindu is sincere he does not want to take shelter under sophistry he is brave enough to face the question in a manly fashion and his answer is i do not know i do not know how the perfect being the soul came to think of itself as imperfect as joined to and conditioned by matter but the fact is a fact for all that it is a fact in everybody's consciousness that one thinks of oneself as the body 
the Hindu does not attempt to explain why one thinks one is the body. The answer uh, that it is the will of God is no explanation. This is nothing more than what the Hindu says, I do not know. That is ignorance at Gyan. How it happened, we don't know, but there's an end of it. So Agyana means Anadi, I cannot find out, trace its origin, but it can be ended and we are interested about that. So that's the wonderful way, again, Swamiji is pointing, highlighting the Vedic idea of ignorance in comparison to the idea of the original sin in the Abrahamic religion. So again, we are saying it is not criticism. When you are discussing a particular religion, it's not to criticize others, now to bring out the points, you are having the other religions in the background. You know, this, our human mind is a wonderful thing. You can use it to uh, bring out your judgment in any way. It's this what the way the Swamiji says is not the final. Even for the Abrahamic point of view, there are many ways to point out their view also. That's a very nice thing Shankaracharya says after expounding Vedanta, he just uh, through judgments, he just denied all other philosophies, isms and established Advaita Vedanta. After doing that, what a tremendous humility with the humility is saying. In those days, no one was there to contradict him, but he's saying a wonderful thing. Yes, there may be someone of higher intellect to contradict my views. But one thing cannot be contradicted, that is realization. So before, yeah, as long as you have not eaten mango, you have not tasted mango, all sorts of views can be there about it. But the moment you taste the mango, the only thing which we will find is that the person who has tasted, he has become silent. He is no more arguing. Because the realization is such a thing that all argue stop, the conviction comes. Who argues? The one who doesn't have the conviction. The one who is convinced. There's no question of argument. So Shankaracharya how nicely is pointing out that after all this, this arguments, though I find that Advaita Vedanta is established, but know it for certain, the only certitude of this real this view is the realization so spiritual practice once you realize so then only that alone is the proof of the truth so now we will find that the hindus are not keen to exhaust their energy in finding out the cause of imperfections but is interested to find the way out and how it happens that vedic concept that just we have a discussing that the it happens by the uh, annihilation of the Ajnana. Now, what's the path to liberation? What's the way out that this Ajnana is there? It's a palpable fact. How to get rid of it? The path to liberation, now in the words of Swami Vivekananda, the present is determined by our past actions and the future by the present. The soul will go on evolving up or reverting back from birth to birth and death to death. But here is another question. Is man a tiny boat in a tempest? Rest one moment on the foamy crest of a billow and dashed down into a yawning chasm the next, rolling to and fro at the mercy of good and bad actions, a powerless, helpless wreck in an ever-raging, ever-rushing, uncompromising current of cause and effect. The heart sings at the idea. Is there no hope? Is there no escape? Was the cry that went up from the bottom of the heart of despair. It reached the throne of mercy and words of hope and consolation came down and inspired a Vedic sage and he stood up before the world and in a trumpet voice proclaimed the glad tidings. Hear ye children of immortal bliss. I have found the ancient one who is beyond all darkness, all delusion. Knowing him alone, you shall be saved from death over again. 
इस अमृत से आयधमानि विद्यानितस्तु वेदाहमेतम पुरुषम महान्तम आदित्य वर्णम तमस परस्तात तमे विदित्वा अति मृत्यु मेति नान्य पंथा विद्यते सो स्वामीजी इज एक्चुअली कोटिंग फ्रॉम द वेदस सो इट्स अ वंडरफुल आइडिया सेट यू आर नॉट द सीनर यू द चिल्ड्रन ऑफ द इमोर्टल ब्लिस द नेक्स्ट स्वामीजी सेस दैट यू द चिल्ड्रन ऑफ इमोर्टल ब्लिस what a sweet what a hopeful name allow me to call you brethren by that sweet name highest of immortal bliss here the hindu refuses to call you sinners here the children of god the shares sharers of immortal bliss holy and perfect beings here divinities on earth sinners it's a sin to call a man so what wonderful poetry swami is creating it is sin to call a man a sinner so how nicely he is just as if ramming on the idea of the sin it is a sin to call a man so it is a standing libel on human nature come up o lions and shake off the delusion that you are ship your souls immortal spirits free blessed and eternal ye are not matter ye are not bodies matter is your servant not you the servant of matter so after this you find that swamiji is proclaiming the inherent purity of the soul that sin cannot be our origin in another place swami is saying a very interesting thing that you say that sin that original sin that we have inherited that sin and swami is saying that before that particular incidents when adam and eve transgressed god what were they why you start from that incidents before that it's not that adam and eve originated from that sin they were there before that sin they were perfect and this one act of disobedience this one act of disobedience cannot be the thing by which you can define them they were perfect if you have to go to the if you have to go to the origin why you stop with the transgression they were eternally perfect residing with god why not go there and assert the purity of the soul that somehow a particular act cannot be the thing which defines me just uh, it, it has a wonderful uh, implications you know that even when we are dealing with a child the child is growing up it does something silly it does some some acts which cannot be applauded and you go and say you are a silly fellow that's one way of saying and another way of saying is you are such a nice fellow how can you do such a silly act the same thing for the same thing you are saying two different thing what happens if you say you are a silly fellow as you are acts as you are ascribing that silliness to the child as its essence and the child really becomes silly what the way you treat with a person that 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 what he becomes if you if you just treat him in such a just in a way that what he is supposed to be he will become that just treat a person what you aim of that person what you think of that person that he or she should be he will become that that is inherent goodness he has somehow committed one small silly thing but that doesn't define him so you will find that this ideas have something to do with our day to day life if a criminal you say you have no hope and just throw him in the jail for the life long to be just uh, what you say that rot there you will find they become something like a very uh in un- unchangeable criminals if say if somehow they can escape you will find they can commit any type of crime because all hope has been just taken away from him or her if we just say that yes, there is a chance of rehabilitation that hope that what you have done that can be nullified you can transform the inherent goodness is in you most probably the environment was not proper for you to manifest that there's just a way that our inherent purity is like a seed a seed has the inherent capacity to become a huge tree but most probably 
because it was in a dry place it dried out or it was in a place where was, there was too much of water it got it was rotten the rotten seed the dried seed is not an expression of evil it is just the expression of the fact the inherent potentiality couldn't be manifested because of the lack of proper environment it had that potentiality so these two viewpoints can just speak a remarkable difference in the way we take our life and that's what swamiji is saying that if you have to assert assert that inherent purity and that will give you the confidence that will give you the strength to move on to get rid of all the things which has adhered to you because of ignorance so thus we see swami vivekananda on his way to expound the vedic concept of mukti or liberation is rebelling against the idea of the human beings as sinners that which can be washed off cannot be our nature it is just the dirt of ignorance which has covered our divine nature clean it the soul shines forth in its pristine pure nature now how the dirt of ignorance can be washed off so in this context we will find vivekananda again he is a prophet of synthesis again and again he is synthesizing he will synthesize bhakti yoga with the karma it's not that he is doing it he is highlighting it is there in our scriptures for that he is going to the bhagavad gita this doctrine of love his in his words this is the doctrine of love declared in the vedas and it is fully developed and taught by krishna whom the hindus believe to have been god incarnate on earth so what he taught he taught that a man ought to live in this world like a lotus leaf which grows in water but is never moistened by water so a man ought to live in the world this how this bhakti and karma is in a single phrase how nicely he is combining his heart to god his hands to work just see his heart to god the entire bhagavad gita can be understood by this simple phrase heart to god hands to work as sri ramakrishna used to say as long as you have the responsibilities with one hand you take care of the responsibilities with the other hand hold on to god and when the chance permits you when the opportunity comes when you are you are relaxed from your responsibilities you have taken already taken care now with both the hands you hold on to god so how nicely this bhakti and karma is being synthesized by the simple words it is already there in our scriptures they are bringing out and highlighting them in the simple words so that's the way out which swami is speaking that that god that's always think of god why you are taking care of the responsibilities but again and again we say that we are just a mere instrument in the hands of the divine we don't know how the perf- this the thing which is nomenon which is which is beyond phenomenon has become phenomenon we don't know but at the same time once it becomes a phenomenon it follows certain laws certain rhythm certain rhythm and one of the laws to integrate his nature he has given us love compassion all the good traits which is in my heart is not something which i owe it is already implanted by the divine i am just the instrument in the hand of the divine to take care of his creation so through me all the actions which are issuing is actually to take care of the divine plan i'm just an instrument so i always keep my mind to god and i just always remember i'm just an instrument who is doing the god's work and the channel through which the god's love is flowing i have then what happens the expectation doesn't come but at the same time the mind is always surrendered to the lord so this is the very center that's why swami ji is saying this is the very center the very vital conception of hinduism the hindu does not want to live upon words and theories if there are existences beyond the ordinary sensuous existence he wants to come face to face with them if there is a soul in him which is not matter if there is an all merciful universal soul he will go to him direct he must see him that realization 
and that alone can destroy all doubts so the best proof a hindu sage gives about the soul about god is i have seen soul i have seen god and that is the only condition of perfection the hindu religion does not consist in struggles and attempts to believe a certain doctrine and dogma this is again this important thing religion doesn't lie in believing in certain doctrine and dogma adhering to it it lies in realization if anyone is truly religious it is the mystics of all the religious traditions they were not satisfied with the beliefs and the doctrines they delved deep into the spiritual domain and came up with the realization and there we will find they are all speaking alike we always say that the, all the you say that all the religions have the same goal it's how can it be just see that their that the myth that the mythologies their uh the concepts the ideas are so varied the idea of heaven is so varied the idea of the ultimate spiritual goal is so varied how can you say all the religions speaks of the same goal well as long as we are just limiting ourselves within the doctrines and dogmas we can never find we can never find the common goal read the life of the mystics go to their teachings and there you will find as they were their realization was something not adhering to the doctrines and dogmas they were branded as heretics they were persecuted why because their words sometimes were not telling with the doctrines and dogmas but we if you just try to find out the sayings the life and the sayings of all the mystics of all the religious traditions in the words of ramakrishna you will find there all the fox howls in same manner they're all speaking the same thing the speaking of that unity of experience so that's the thing which vedanta stresses go to the realization don't just be uh limited just don't be a frog in the well thinking that these doctrines and dogmas all the be all and l all of the entire existence it's just it becomes we become just like a frog in a well which has never seen the world and thinks the well to be the entire existence so that's the swami is saying go to the world of realization there's the whole object of the system is by constant struggle to become perfect to become divine to reach god and see god and this reaching god seeing god becoming perfect even as the father in heaven is perfect constitutes the religion of the hindus in fact it was a very forceful lecture is bringing out the point in a way where is not contradicting the religions but is pointing out the tenets of the other religion in a very nice way you will find that he is perfect as his father in the heaven is perfect that as we were saying if you have to find your origin with adam and eve why you stop with the original sin they were perfect with their father residing in the heaven before that why don't you trace back there so you are the eternal perfect i have to go back again to that eternal perfection i am not going to harp on sins so now swami vivekananda puts forward the question what's the question and what becomes of a man when he attains perfection so there again we will find a significant point all in vedanta in yoga in vedanta that in all the religions the idea of the ultimate perfection is in heaven that if i can lead a very nice life then after death i will go to that idea of perfection which i have that heaven in vedanta in yoga there is a concept of jivan mukti that you need not have to wait till your death to go to that realm of perfection here in this very life jivan mukti sukha prapti hetave janma dharana to enjoy the bliss of liberation is the purpose of the human birth as the scriptures have said is asserts that fact jivan mukti sukha prapti that to be free while living what's the idea of freedom while living yes while living we can enjoy the freedom as swami vivekananda gives a wonderful example in some other place that 
He was passing through the desert as a wandering monk. He was thirsty and in search of water, suddenly he saw a huge reservoir at a distance. He started moving towards it. And he found after some time, the reservoir is no more there, it's vanished. And then that idea came, oh, it's a mirage. I have studied about it. I had a conceptual knowledge about it. But today I realized. Till now I thought I have, I know what mirage is. But today I really understood. It's no more a concept. Now what happens? The next day, when I'm again passing through the desert, I mean, I'm just as a wandering monk, I'm passing through the desert. As I am still in my body-mind senses, I haven't died. I'm still in living in these body-mind senses. So what happens? Again, I see the mirage. The same delusion because of the body-mind senses again appears. But today there's a great difference. What's the difference? Yesterday I was dragged by it because it was something real to me. Today it has lost the hold. It has lost the power to drag me. I know it's a mere projection. This is the state of Jivan Mukti. That though you're living, your past actions now forces you to continue with your life. That realization doesn't mean immediate annihilation. Just to give an example, when the fan is revolving, you go and switch off the fan. Does it stop immediately? Because of the past, its past inertia of motion, the past impulse, it continues to move on for some time. Similarly, when we get detached because of our realization that this world, which I was thinking real and I was so attached to it, it's after all a mere projection, the detachment comes. That doesn't mean your body will fall off immediately. Just like the past impulse of the fan, the past samskaras just enables you to continue your body, forces to continue your body for till the prarabdha is over, till that, that force behind it is over, the force of the karma is over. But you are already free. Though you are continuing in your body, mind, senses, you are now free. Nothing can now drag you because after all, you have seen the reality and this entire world is now just like a mere projection to you. It cannot in any way affect you. So that's the idea of Jivan Mukti. So what he's saying that what happens to a man when he attains that perfection? He leaves a life of bliss infinite. He enjoys infinite and perfect bliss, having obtained the only thing in which man ought to have pleasure namely God and enjoys the bliss with God. So that's the only, that has become the palpable reality. The projection has fallen off. He is remains in the eternal bliss with the divine. And after that, he will come to the synthesis of Dvaita and Advaita hereafter. Uh, by, finding, by finding out the nature of the ultimate realization and he will synthesize the Dvaita and Advaita. So how he's doing, we will just take five more minutes. We will read Swamiji's ideas and then uh, we will conclude this discussion. And again, we will continue with the Karma Yoga in the next class. So far, so far, all the Hindus are agreed. This is the common religion of all the sects of India. But then perfection is absolute. And the absolute cannot be two or three. It cannot have any qualities. It cannot be an individual. And so when a soul becomes perfect and absolute, it must become one with Brahman. And it would only realize the Lord as the perfection, the reality of its own nature and the existence, the existence absolute, the knowledge absolute and bliss absolute. We have often and often read this called the losing of individuality and becoming a stalk or a stone. So the world, at present the world, the real world is the stimulus to which we respond. If the reality is no more there, if it is a mere projection, our response won't be there. So what's the difference between a log, wood, a stone and such a person? Is it evolution or is it regressing back to matter? Many may uh, criticize Vedanta that way. So here Swamiji is bringing that point. 
And he, in some other place, has told a very interesting thing. In this world, opposite poles always look alike. Though there, there's a marked difference, but they look alike. You cannot see the ultraviolet light which burns your skin, which creates skin cancer, and you cannot see the infrared light. They're poles apart, but both are invisible. You cannot hear the, uh, what you say, the supersonic sound, and you cannot hear the subsonic sound. The supersonic sound, which can even, uh, where a supersonic plane is passing over your building, it can even rattle the glass and it can break the glasses, but you cannot hear them. But, and the subsonic sound, you can also hear them. These are the two poles. Similarly, a realized soul may look like a jada, inert, and a stone is also jada, but they're pole apart. What is the pole? What is the, the appearance may be same, but inwardly, the stone is have no, have no realization. But the man who have went to that spiritual realization is enjoying tremendous bliss. Why? Because the locality has fallen off. With this, we will stop our discussion. That's what his Swamiji is saying. His, uh, I tell you, it is nothing of that kind, that you don't become like a rock and stone. If it is happiness to enjoy the consciousness of this small body, it must be greater happiness to enjoy the consciousness of two bodies. The measure of happiness increasing with the consciousness of an increasing number of bodies, the aim, the ultimate of happiness being reached when it would become a universal consciousness. To understand this, let us take an idea of the disease. When we say we are diseased, now when we are in when good health, we are not aware of any particular part of our body, isn't it? The health of a child, you will see the health is throbbing through the entire body. It falls, it gets cut, it is not aware. So much of energy. The mother finds that there is a cut. They, they, they ask the child, when you have fallen, from where you got that cut? His so much health, health is there. He's just, what do you say, that totally just throbbing with life force. That consciousness is throughout the body. It gets no chance to get localized. As we grow old, what happens? Now the consciousness is getting localized. What's the sign of disease? I have a headache. As a child, the consciousness which was permeating my entire body, life force was throbbing through the entire body. Now it is getting localized, it's my headache into the head, my heart ache, knees are paining, stomach is paining. That's the sign of disease. The consciousness which was supposed to be throbbing through the entire body, now is getting localized. We as the unity of consciousness, as the absolute consciousness is non-local, the moment it gets localized within this body-mind complex, it is the disease of called worldliness. Through so the realization again, that localize that localization gets diffused. It's not like a stone which is totally beyond, beyond all alertness. It's one whose consciousness has no locality. So the question of hatred, the question of animosity falls off. There is no localized that a rock never reacts. A realized soul never reacts. What's the difference? A rock never reacts because it never feels. But a realized soul never reacts because to whom it will react? In Bhagavata, a very nice example is given. While taking food, when accidentally your tongue is bitten by your teeth, whom do you blame? Because you, you are the teeth, you are the tongue. So the, there you are not reacting. A man who is not reacting while taking food when his tongue gets uh, bitten by his own teeth, that non-reaction and the reaction, non-reaction of a stone, are they the same? They may look alike, but they're poles apart. So man of realization, as he loses his, all the sense of locality, there's no boundary to his amnes, his all-pervading, has become one with the entire existence. That's the destiny of the soul. If I, it, it was out of worldliness, I got localized. It has been broken by that realization. And then, then and then alone, you can enjoy the infinite bliss. And then and then alone, you can realize that why Jesus in the cross is not reacting. He's forgiving all because 
he knows that other dimension of existence where this is just a passing phase this local consciousness is not the be all and end all of existence nothing can alienate him he's one with the god he was he is he's always one with god and that's the thing that's why swami ji again and again saying is saying for us to believe in jesus becomes more easy from the vedantic perspective he's saying again and again i believe in jesus but from the vedantic perspective so there's a difference there between that that the so called christianity and christ sometimes christ can be can be understood from the vedantic perspective in a totally different way and we can also adore him love him from that vedantic perspective and that's what his life is a wonderful life so that's the thing we find swami ji is gradually building up and is bringing to that advaitic realization that ultimate realization as the ultimate goal which our spiritual journey takes us through all the so called bhakti karma gyana and uh, at last it ends in that gyana in that realization where we experience that unitary consciousness which is beyond all the boundaries that all pervading non dual consciousness of which in where we are all one so that way swamiji find is just taking resorting to the vedantic ideas to explain the nature and the destiny of the soul the so his lecture is something very profound actually we can take up that lecture itself as a subject of one of our uh, what is the retreats it's a wonderful been three four sessions we can continue but for the time being with this idea that the nature of the soul its destiny we conclude the discussion today and we will again continue with the study of the karma yoga from the next class so thank you all for uh, being in this session namaskar swami ji thank namaskar. you very much pranam maharaj pranam pranam jan man maharaj namaskar pranam swami ji pranam swami ji namaskar